Father, we do, uh, we do pray for uh, what's going on there. And, and Lord, you, you know, as we, as we sang in the song, you know the beginning from the end. And uh, God, I just, I know that you can bring beauty from ashes. And I know you can do something tremendous with things that we think are a complete loss. So, Lord, bless, protect, encourage, and most of all, I pray that the people involved in, in uh, just ministering, that your name would be lifted high, and that, God, that people would come to know you through this, that you would bring them to you, and, uh, Lord, some, uh, we would just uh, hear of tremendous revival going on in the hearts of people. And God, as we do continue here in John, I, I pray that you would minister to our hearts, Lord, that we would gain an understanding, maybe a deeper understanding of our faith and what that is and what that looks like. So use this, use this uh, portion of John to really impact us. Once again, he's not just writing a letter, he's pouring out his heart and your heart to us. And God, I pray, especially if we're struggling, if we're struggling with our faith or even just struggling with life, I pray that your word today would impact us and, and take us to the place, God, where we can be encouraged and strengthened. So we give you this time. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, the whole section of John or the whole book of John, 1 John is all about believing, but sometimes, sometimes I think we can get kind of messed up. It's, it's not believing in believing. It's not believing in something ambiguous and, and something out there. It's not putting faith in faith. It's trusting God and trusting God's word and his revelation of Jesus Christ and giving us him. And we need to understand that because I think sometimes, listen, I think sometimes we kind of get casual about our believing and we think it really doesn't matter. If I'm gonna trust Jesus to get me to heaven, I probably should get to know him. I probably should want to understand him. If I'm trusting God's word, I probably should dig in and try and understand God's word because I'm putting my faith in that. When I got saved, I distinctly remember calling on the name of the Lord and I remember I was pretty terrified because I was completely trusting him. I'm, I'm a person and all my life I've been this way. I'm either all in or I'm not in at all. And when I was coming to Jesus, it was like I really, really hope this is true because I'm putting everything in it. And I believe, again, that's, that was part of God working in my heart and gifting me to study his word and dig in because I was gonna trust it, but I don't just blindly trust. We're not talking about just taking a blind leap of faith. We're talking about putting faith in something concrete and real. So that's what John is all about. He's all about that. He's about combating, once again, to remind us. He's coming against the beginning of Gnosticism, uh, I can't, some people have some great big words for that, but I just call it the beginning of Gnosticism and uh, where it was all starting. And, and John's coming against that because it was influencing the church in his generation and he's concerned about it. And remember, the Gnostics, the Gnosticism, coming out of the Greek word means to know and it's all about knowledge and having, you know, kind of the secret thing. Uh, I, just, I just read something by somebody uh, this week 
and this person has the secret knowledge to unlock the book of Revelation. Don't read her book. When people give you that, listen, there's no secrets. God did not write things where we have to get a decoder ring and do that. So the Gnostics kind of kind of do that thing, and then they also, they had trouble with Jesus. They didn't believe that, you know, they were people, they believed material was evil. We've talked about it. Spiritual is good. So there's no way God would become human. So they believed Jesus at, at his baptism, the Christ consciousness, the Christ spirit came upon him, but left him before he died, and he just died as a man. So John's coming against all of that, and he's been telling us back and forth, been going back and forth, but mainly about believing and about truth. Now today, he kinda, I think, kinda really, kinda sorta starts wrapping it up. This is the end of the book, and he begins to, this is not the end, this is not even the beginning of the end, right? But this is the end, or I'm sorry, it's not the end of the beginning. Or I'm sorry, it's not the beginning of the end, it's the end of the beginning. So he's just kind of getting there. I know I mixed you up there a little bit, but that was good. So verse six, listen, verse six, here's what he says. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood, and it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Now, listen, you read that. Verse five, he's just told us that uh, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And now he's saying, this one I'm talking about in verses one through five, this one, and he says, this is he, and then it's like he's clarifying, and he says, he's the one who came by water and blood. And I don't know about you guys, but I read that and I go, well, that makes it perfectly clear for me. What is he talking about? What is John, when he says that, what is it, you know, yeah, maybe, you, maybe you guys are a little deeper than I am. But I read that and go, uh, John, I'm not sure what you're talking about here. And it's interesting because he does say, listen, he says he comes by water and blood, and then he says, not only by water, but by water and blood. And he's like he's trying to clarify something. Now, I'm thoroughly convinced the people he was writing to knew exactly what he was talking about, but we're centuries removed from that. And we kind of got to decipher and, and figure out what exactly is he talking about when he's talking about water and blood? What does he mean by that? And once again, there are some sections in Scripture that I would just soon jump over and kind of go past. So let's try and unpack this a little bit, and hopefully I can bring some understanding. We're gonna talk about this for a while. It's gonna get a little bit technical, and then in verse seven, we're gonna get a little bit more technical about some stuff. So if you're not into technical stuff, just take a nap, I'll wake you up when we get to verse eight, and you can come back too. But as he's doing this, what is he talking about? Well, there's, there's several different theories. One theory is water is just birth, human birth, and blood is the cross. Now, that could be, but one of, the, one of the things, problems I have with that is John, even in his gospel, never talks about the physical birth of Jesus. This is not something that's in his, in his mind, in his lane, so to speak. So I'm not sure all of a sudden he would bring up I, this Jesus Christ who was born as a human and then died. I'm not sure that's water and blood. Oh, by the way, in the original language, it says the water and the blood. 
So more of the definite articles there. So I'm not sure that's what he's talking about. And then some people talk about, if you remember, when Jesus was on the cross, they came to make sure every Passover was coming. They wanted to make sure the guys died in time. They were breaking their bones so that then they would suffocate. And when they came to Jesus, they go, wow, he's already dead. And the soldier stuck his sword in his side. And what came out? Water and blood. So people go, that's what he's talking about. And it's interesting, John was there, and John would have seen that. But I'm thinking, that doesn't make a lot of sense because that wouldn't be the water and the blood. And then others say he's talking about baptism in general and uh, you know, coming to the Lord's table, the, the cup that represents his blood. And I think, well, that's a little odd. The one that I go with the most is the water talking about when Jesus was baptized. And remember, when Jesus was baptized, that was the beginning of his ministry. It was the beginning of his work, so to speak. And then the blood is when he was crucified and finished his work. So here's what I think John is saying. He's saying this one, Jesus, and he didn't just come as an example. He just didn't come as a teacher. He came as someone to do a work. He was baptized, identifying with our sin. And then he died for our sin. And I think that's what John's talking about. That one makes the most sense to me. And, be, and, and one of the reasons is, remember when Jesus was baptized? Well, I mean, when you read about it. I don't think you were there. None of you are quite that old. But when you read about his baptism, in Matthew, especially in Matthew, when it says he was baptized, let me, let me read that section to you. In, in Matthew chapter three, it says this. When he had been baptized, Jesus came immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. God declared, right? Declared something at that point. He declared, in, in, you know, for my mind, he declared the deity of Jesus at that point. He's my, my son, my only son, in whom I'm well pleased. So you have that, and I think that's what John, remember John's whole purpose is that this Jesus is 100% human, 100% deity, and we need to accept that, and we need to believe that. So that would be the deity when he was baptized. Now, here's the interesting thing. The Gnostics wouldn't have a problem with that because they believed that spirit came on him. So listen, they would go, and it's f funny sometimes when you're teaching and people like the part you're in, they're going, and then you get to the part they don't like and they're going, you know, so, so none of you here, but uh, so listen, as he's doing that now, now what about the blood? What about when Jesus died on the cross? Once again, in Matthew, I want to read some of that to you because God didn't speak, but he did. And remember, we're putting faith in evidence in things that happen. In the evidence, when he was baptized, the spirit came like a dove. There was 
evidence there that those around there saw. Then when he died, in verse 50 of chapter 27, it says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. So there's evidence, right? Something's happening, and especially the Jews knew about that, that tearing of the, of the veil. And then this happened. Whenever I read this, it always blows my mind. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city, and they appeared to many. I might be naive, but I'm thinking if people are shooting up out of graves, something is going on, right? I mean, wouldn't that sort of get your attention? Wouldn't you begin to think that some, something just happened? Every time I read that, and I'm amazed like there wasn't, you know, in Jerusalem, I'm amazed everybody wasn't on their Facebook page writing about this. I mean, dead people came out of their graves. And it's like, how much more evidence do you need? I think it takes more faith not to believe than it does to believe. So then, oh, and let me finish that, though. Then it says, so when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly and said, truly, this was the Son of God. The water and the blood testify about Jesus. Remember, it's all about Jesus, and it's all about the biblical Jesus and who he was. That's why I believe the water represents his baptism, the blood represents his death. And, you know, that's, that's the way I go. You don't want to agree with that. That's fine. You don't have to. So listen, he says that, and then, and then at the end of verse 6, he says this, and it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Jesus in John chapter 15 told us he was gonna send another and he was gonna be the comforter and he was gonna reveal truth to us. The spirit, the spirit speaks to our spirit, we'll talk about this later, and makes the truth more real. So that's what he's talking about, right? We have the witness of the spirit of God witnessing to us that this actually took place and it happened. None of us were there. We have these eyewitness accounts that we read about, but it still takes an element of faith, right? We have to trust them. So John lays that out, and then verse seven and eight, they're complicated. And depending on what translation you have and you're using, uh, you're gonna read it in different ways. I'm gonna read it out of the New King James, and then we're gonna talk about it. It says, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. Now, if you have NIV, New American Standard, ESV, one of those, here's how yours reads. There are three that bear witness, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. That middle part is not in those translations. So I wanna talk about this for a moment because I think it's important. There are, like I said, there are times where I would like just as soon jump over sections and not discuss them and just go, hey, you know what, just read it on your own and you'll figure it out. I wanna talk about this, but I also, I wanna, I wanna preface it with this. There are some discrepancies in the translations we have. 
But any of the discrepancies never take away from the fundamental faith, the fundamental doctrines we have. And so we can trust our Bibles, we know that it's the word of God given to us, and so I don't wanna put question on that, but I think we have to be honest, and my Bible says we have to be ready to give an answer, and so there are sections you read and you're going, okay, what's going on here? And this is one of those main sections. So having said that, one more thing. Never go to a questionable section of scripture to get your doctrine, because somebody's gonna beat you up with that. Get your doctrine from the sure sections of scripture. Now why is this questionable? Number one, we don't have any original writings. You guys know that, right? We don't have any of the original. If we had the original manuscripts, there would be no questions. We don't have those because we would worship those. That's what I believe. I believe we don't have them because we're weird. And God says, man, if you had them, you'd just start worshiping. So you, but we do have thousands of manuscripts and a lot of them from the first and second century. So we got, we, we've got good material there. So why is this, why is this in question? What happened? Well, it seems, and, and this is where it's gonna get complicated, you can take a nap if you need to. So it seems like all of the Greek manuscripts up to the 14th century, none of them contained that one part in John that says there are three in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. That's not in any of those manuscripts. So that's kind of interesting, right, when you think about it that way. And so in some of the Latin translations, it was put in. And here's what it seems to happen. I'll, I'll get a little bit more detail in a minute. But it seems like some people wrote that in the margin. Like, do you ever write in the margin of your Bible? I do. And it seems like some of the guys would write stuff and then, oh, well, that looks pretty good. Let's just insert it in here kind of thing. And one copyist might put it in. So some of the Latin translations did that. But none of the Greek, and it's important, we get our, our translation from mostly from the Greek translations. So having said that, listen again, it didn't happen until the 14th century, but here's an interesting tidbit. Listen, the first few hundred years of Christianity, I think most of us understand, there was a lot of theological debates going on because they didn't have all of the scripture, right? So they're having debates, they're talking, that's part of why these books are written. First few hundred years they had, especially the debates understanding the Trinity, in all of the debates, and you can read the old guys, right? Irenaeus and Polycarp and those guys, you can read them. We have, we have what they were debating, what they were talking about. In all of those, they, when they debated the Trinity, they never went to 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. Hmm. If chapter 5, verse 7 was there, wouldn't you go to that? I mean, that explicitly says the Trinity. So don't use this. Listen, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. That's the Trinity. So you can't go there. Don't go there to prove the Trinity, especially with Jehovah's Witnesses. They'll eat your lunch. They've studied it. They know, right? So don't go there. So listen, if those guys weren't using it, was it even there is my point. If it was there, I think they would have been using it. So they weren't using it. Now, so how did it get there? Like I said, it was in some of the Latin and uh, some of those translations. Oh, by the way, the real ancient translations, 
the, the Syriac, the uh, Arabic, the Ethiopian, the Coptic, the Sahidic, the Armenian, the Slovenian, all of those never have that disputed section in them. So that's kind of interesting. We're so used to English, right? And we think everything revolves around our language. It doesn't, just so you know. So how did it get there? Now here's the interesting part. This gets kind of weird. There was a guy in the 1500s, his name was Erasmus. Greek scholar, good Greek scholar. And he decided he's gonna write a Greek New Testament. And he gets a Greek New Testament written, published, and finished. Well, some of his colleagues who were especially from the Roman Catholic Church, and they were used to the Latin, they got on him because in some of the Latin translations it's there. Why aren't you putting verse seven in there the way it is in Latin? And he said, because I'm a Greek scholar. And then he made this statement, show me one Greek, uh, one Greek manuscript that has that in it and I will change mine. Guess what? All of a sudden, a Greek manuscript appeared with it in there. Now here's the weird thing. He knew and they knew that Greek manuscript was written in the 1500s. It was somebody just said, you want a Greek manuscript? Well, make a Greek manuscript, here you go. And because he said that, he was a man of his word, so he put it in there. But listen to the footnote he put. This is crazy, right? You'd think this would change people. So he put it in his 1522 edition. However, he added this footnote saying he thought the new Greek manuscript had been written on purpose just to embarrass him. So all of that to say that's very questionable. And... That doesn't mean your Bible's wrong, doesn't mean you can't trust your Bible, it just means be careful when, when, listen, when those things come. Now, and mainly it's in the New King James because of the manuscript line the New King James and the New King James uses. The New American Standard, NIV, other stuff, use a different manuscript line that goes to older manuscripts, actually. And uh, so, listen, that's why they leave it out. So, hey, you can read it in there, just don't use it to prove the Trinity. Don't go there for, for to, to prove that. Now, after having said that, let's think about what he just said. So I'm gonna read it kind of the way that I think is more of the original way, and it says, for there are three that bear witness, and uh, uh, the, uh, I'm sorry, the three that bear witness, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. So what has he just talked about? Listen, in verse six, what did he talk about? The water, the blood, and the spirit. In verse seven, I don't think he would change to the Father, the Word, and the Spirit because it has nothing to do with what he was just saying. What is he trying to communicate to us? Whether you're looking at the evidence of water and blood or whether you're hearing the Spirit they agree is one. In other words, what the Spirit reveals to us agrees with what actually happened. Are you with me? So that's John's point. That's what John is trying to say. You and I, listen, you and I have tremendous evidence. I personally believe, and it's only because I'm saved. Before I was saved, I didn't believe this. But I personally believe it takes a whole much more faith to deny the, the evidence of Jesus Christ and what he's done than it does to believe it. 
Whenever we go to Israel, we're getting ready to go to Israel here in a, in a couple weeks. Whenever we go to Israel, I'm sort of always, I'm always blown away, and I've done a lot of trips, but every time I'm there, here's what I think. Look at all of this evidence. I'm walking where Jesus walked. I'm sitting on steps that he walked on. I'm floating in a, in a lake that he went on. I'm doing all of these things, and here's what I think. Why don't people believe? And especially the people who live there, right? The Jews, they're going. And, and why? Because the Spirit has not spoken to them. The evidence is there, but the Spirit is the one who makes it real to us. So that's John's point, and that's what he's getting at. Now, if you went to sleep, wake up. All right, we're coming back. We're gonna come back to this. We're done with all of that stuff, and we're gonna come back. And then he says, uh, again, if we receive, in verse nine, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God which he has testified of his son. Now you can check out, Deuteronomy 19 tells us this. There's gotta be two or three witnesses. John is making sure there's at least three witnesses, right? And that's what he's talking about. So in verse nine, here's what he says. And some of yours may use, uh, some of your translations may use the term testify, which is, is the same thing. It's interesting, in this section, he talks about testifying or witnessing 10 different times. What does that tell me? There's evidence, right? So here's what he's saying. We believe the testimony or the witness of men. Now I know, I know, right now in 2022, we don't always believe the testimony that we see, right? We're kinda like got this whole, you know, crazy stuff going on, and we have this crazy thing called the internet that anybody can put anything on there. It always cracks me up, where'd you get that internet? Well, that makes it absolute truth. Right, so be careful, you know, again. But generally, let's, let's just bring it, let's bring it home. When I tell you things, you usually believe me. I'm hoping you study and look, but, but there's that trust, right? Hey, if I, you know, what we just talked about, you kind of generally believe me. Some of you are gonna research it and go a little bit deeper and look into things, but you, hey, we believe the witness of man. That's what we're talking about. The person in front of us, we believe them, unless they give us a reason not to, but we believe them. And then John says, listen, if we believe a person how much more should we believe God, right? If you believe the lesser, shouldn't you believe the greater? And he says, shouldn't we believe God? And he says this, and he says, what, shouldn't we believe God, the greater? For this is a witness of God. Here's a witness of God, which he testified of his son. Now he's gonna be, be explaining that. Now I think he's already explained it some, but this is a witness of God. Now verse seven, he's talking about us trying to deal with it, I'm sorry, verse 10, of us dealing with it, and he says, he who believes in the Son of God has this witness in himself. So he's saying, listen, when you believe in the Son, the Spirit makes it real to you. And I think most of us can testify to that. If you're born again, the Spirit, listen, the Spirit solidifies that in your heart. In Romans chapter eight, Paul said it this way, he says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So we understand. So that's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, this testimony that God gives, he says, he who believes in the Son of God has this witness in himself. So not only do we have the facts, the evidence, 
Not only do we have testimony of men, the ones who were there, the eyewitness accounts, we also have the witness of the Holy Spirit within us making and confirming that reality. Are you getting the idea that John really wants us to believe? So now he goes further, and here's the heavy part. He says, he says, he who does not, in the middle of verse 10, believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. Do you hear the seriousness of that? He's, and this is typical John. He's so black and white. There's like no middle ground with him. You believe God or you call God a liar. That's pretty heavy, right? I think, I think it's pretty heavy to call God a liar. I think it's pretty intense. It was interesting, I was reading some, some of Charles Spurgeon in this area and poor Charlie, he was like freaking out, man. He was going, you can't call God a liar, do you know? And I think sometimes we kind of just gloss over, oh well, it doesn't matter. No, that's huge. Calling God a liar is huge. And, he's, and here's what John says. And I mean, isn't what John's saying true? If you're denying the reality of Jesus Christ and God's testimony of who he is, here's what you're saying. God, you're a liar. Wow. Wow. And so I kind of agree with Spurgeon, especially after reading Spurgeon, I got really kind of scared. And I thought, man, I don't want to mess up. And I surely don't want Charles Spurgeon in, in walking around with me because, you know, you get those guys that look into your soul. Does that ever bother you? You get people that just look right into your soul and you're going, stop it. Chuck Smith was one of those guys. Whenever I talked to Pastor Chuck, I talked to him like this. Hey, Pastor Chuck, can I talk to you? I mean, just, you have that thing. And, and here's what he's saying, man. If you're not agreeing with God, you're not just disagreeing with him. You're calling him a liar. Wow. I would rather say, you know what? I choose to disagree. And God doesn't give us that place. It's either here or here, no in between. So John lays that out. Now he goes a little bit deeper here and he says this, and this is a testimony, right? Verse 11, this is a testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Here's a testimony of God. We have eternal life, but that life is found in his son Listen carefully, nowhere else. It's not some man-made scheme. The whole idea of Jesus dying for our sins wouldn't be something that man would come up with because it's bizarre, right? I mean, you, I mean, come on. It is a little bit weird to say, I believe that 2,000 years ago someone died on a cross and took all of my penalty for my sin and now I'm set free from sin. Who would dream that up? So here's what he's saying. Here's the testimony of God. We, can, we either have eternal life or we don't. He's gonna say that in a moment. So the testimony of God is we have eternal life in his son, in Jesus, no other place. You can't find it in any other place. You gotta come to the son. And then black and white John, here's what he says. Verse 12, he who has a son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. Oh, 
That's our Johnny. Nothing in between. Either you believe or you don't. And I think it's okay to be a little bit blunt like that. You don't have to be rude. But I think it's okay to say, here's the truth, here's the reality. When I witness to people, sometimes people will tell me, well, I really don't believe in hell. My answer is, doesn't matter whether you believe in it or not. Doesn't make it any less real just because you choose not to believe in it. And you need to understand that. And I think it's okay to be blunt like that. Now, when he says, listen, he who has a son has life, have you ever just stopped and meditated on that? Obviously, this week, I did a little bit more of that, just reading this passage and thinking about it. And he who does not have the son does not have life. Since I've been saved, I found out what life really was. Before I was saved, I thought I knew life, but I believe with all my heart Without Jesus, all you're doing is existing. You don't have life. You exist. When you come to Christ, you have life. And we need to know that. I, I, you know, I look at my life since Jesus, and it is so vastly different from my life before Jesus, not just in the area of, of sin, but just in the area of experience everything. Everything looks different with Jesus, right? You start looking at things and, and hey, it's not just I, my worldview, it's I look at the mountains and I realize something. They didn't just happen. God made them. I remember going to the Grand Canyon and just like being mes mesmerized and looking at it and going, man, my God made that. Years ago, I was sharing one time that it's, and you may disagree with me and it's okay. I think it's rather foolish to think that little river in the bottom of the Grand Canyon made that. Just, I just think it's a little crazy. I think it takes more faith to believe that than it does that God went and said, there you go, there's something nice. I actually think it was during the flood, but listen, God made that. And you look at it and you look at it through those eyes, it's entirely different than you look at it as some river cut a hole in a rock and you're looking at it. Those who have the sun have life. Those who do not have the sun do not have life. And that's what this is all about. We either believe God or we don't. We either trust him or we don't. And we need to come to grips with that. And listen, not even, not even talking about our salvation, just talking about us living right now. Are you enjoying God? I'm not gonna wait till I get to heaven to enjoy God. I'm gonna enjoy him right now by faith. I'm gonna embrace and enjoy him. And I think way too many people are saying, you know what, I'll just wait till I get to heaven and then it'll be good. Whenever somebody tells me that, I go, what makes you think you're going to heaven? That makes them a little mad. Well, because I want the answer. If they're not enjoying God right now, like when you, do you think, do you think really you can live completely in the world and however you want, and then when you die, poof, you're gonna change and enjoy God? That's a fantasy. You need to be involved with him now and enjoy him now. Let's stand up and pray.
Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge that we have. And, and Lord, that you lay things out for us, even the difficult part, even the difficult part of understanding water and blood and then the, the part coming up with, with what belongs, what doesn't. Lord, I thank you that we can be open and honest and discuss those things and we don't have to be afraid. I know, God, that this book that I have is sufficient for my salvation. I know this is the word of God and I can trust it and I can put my faith in it. And I pray that we would all feel that way, no matter what we say about the different translations, that we would know that we have God's revelation in front of us. And I thank you that we have that. I thank you that we have that witness and we have the evidence that we can see and know. We can go to Israel, we can see places and, and, and see different things and have that evidence. And then we have the Spirit. He makes it so real to us and so real in our lives. Thank you for that, God. We're not walking blindly and we're not taking leaps of faith. We're putting our trust in you and what you've revealed to us. Man, solidify that in our hearts, God. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for just a couple more minutes. And if you are here today and you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins, we talked about he was baptized to identify with our sins. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's separation from God. And what we deserve by sinning is eternal wrath. That's bad news. The good news is Jesus did take that on the cross. When he went to the cross, he suffered the wrath for us. And you either put your trust in that or you don't. And so this morning, if you've never done that, I wanna give you an opportunity right now to put your trust in God and say yes to him. And I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. That's how we're gonna do it. And you can repeat this prayer with me out loud. You can say it silently. It's not volume, it's your heart that matters, you're trusting him. If you're backslidden, man, come home. Come back to Jesus. Let him know today you wanna come home. He will receive you, his arms are open wide. If you're watching online, you're home or wherever you're at, you can say this prayer with us. You don't have to be in this building. Jesus, today, I confess to you that I am a sinner. And I'm sorry, God, that I sinned against you. And right now I'm asking for your forgiveness. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And now I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. Today I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior.